Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Um, If you could join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Again, that's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Morning again, everyone. And uh, thank you, Lizzie, for reading God's word to us. If you've read the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, which we happen to have been studying over the past uh, several weeks, you will, you will notice that the scene that we're looking at today might look familiar. Um, once again, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching by that, that great sea. He's been there before. He's been teaching in different places, too. He's taught in a synagogue, in a house. Uh, outdoors and places like this where thousands have gathered. The thing is, we haven't gotten too many details about what Jesus has been teaching. We know that he has been teaching in many places with many people showing up to hear him teach, but we don't really know too much about the details. At least Mark hasn't yet given us too many details. He gave, the, he gave us the gist of Jesus' message in, back in chapter 1, verse 14. Where it says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So so we know that Jesus was teaching essentially about the kingdom of God. He he was teaching that the kingdom of God was arriving. Now, Now when we hear kingdom, we might tend to think immediately of just like a place, a space. And so when we hear kingdom arriving, we think of like some huge kingdom that somehow is landing on this earth. But I would, I would encourage you that when you think of kingdom, don't just think of a, a place. It is in part a place, and, and it's, it's, that's where our minds tend to go, right? Uh, we think of the United Kingdom. There, that's a kingdom, right? Or, or we think, as I've said before, of that, the, that uh, formative movie for many of us, The Lion King, where King Mufasa says to his son, he says, Luke Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. So he's basically saying, these are the boundaries of our kingdom. This is our land. But when you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God arriving, don't just think about a place. Think about the kingship of God. Think about the rule and power of God. So what Jesus is saying, he's announcing that God's authority, God's power is at hand. It is arriving. It's here. With him, Jesus, his arrival, 
means that God's power, God's authority, God's kingship and rule is arriving. And God is now laying claim on everything, on all of creation. So think again of it this way. Jesus arrives into this broken world that's filled with suffering and it's filled with pain. It's filled with sinning people. And he says that with his arrival, the power of God is now penetrating this world. And it's a healing power. It's a forgiving power. It's a rescuing power. The creator is reestablishing his rule over all of creation. And this is good news, Jesus says. He says, this is the good news of God. This is, in fact, the best news. That's what gospel means. It means good news that is history-changing and life-altering. And the reason this is good news is because we and those who have gone before us have made a mess of things in this world, haven't we? All we have to do is look around and see it. You see the hostility, the perversion, the lostness. You feel it. You've suffered as a result of it, and and, and you've participated in it too. Humanity as a whole rejected God, rejected his rule. But Jesus says, I'm here to retake the world, and I'm going to make things right again. And he's already begun that process. He came. He lived as a man. He obeyed God perfectly And he died on a cross for the forgiveness of everyone who will believe in him. And he rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And one day he will return to complete this mission, this invasion of God's kingdom into this world. So he says, believe this news. Believe it. Because the way for you to experience all the good that God is bringing into this world, for you to experience all that that God is doing as he reestablishes his rule over this world, the way for you to get in on it is simply to believe in it. To believe the news. And to believe the one who brings the news. Because by believing in this news, you are saying, I want in on that. I I don't want to be on the outside of that. I don't want to be on the outside of that banished from God's kingdom, judged by God. I want to be in the inside. I want Jesus as king, my king. And so that was the core message that Jesus was communicating when he entered Galilee, saying, the kingdom is here, believe this news. But he didn't just keep repeating those lines over and over again, right? He couldn't have. I think the crowds would have gotten bored. They would have said, we've heard this already. They would have left. But here in chapter 4, we we see some of the specific content that Jesus was teaching publicly. And what we find out is that he's still talking about the kingdom. Everything he's saying is about the kingdom. But verse 2 of chapter 4 says he was teaching them many things, many things. But as we see again, as we look through chapter 4, it was all related to this idea of the kingdom of God. And he's teaching many things in parables. Parables, some of us are familiar with that word. It's a broad term. Um, Something like a metaphor or analogy could be considered a kind of parable. A parable can be a story or or just a word picture that communicates some core idea. And so the Gospels contain around 60 different parables told by Jesus. Most of them are in Matthew and in Luke, those two Gospels. A few of them are here in Mark, as we're going to see over the next few weeks. Jesus' parables were based on familiar daily details, like scenarios from everyday life. At least they'd be familiar to you if you lived in Palestine in in 30 AD. 
They're a little less familiar to us, maybe. But they involve things like farming and fishing and buying and selling and shepherding. But these, these stories always pointed to something deeper. They're not just fables that teach us like life lessons. They're more than that. They're, they don't just give us simple advice either. Instead, what these parables do is they tell us what life in God's kingdom is like. They tell us what God's kingdom is like and what it is like to live under his rule. So, some of these parables might confuse us at points. At least at first they might. They, they sometimes knock us off balance because they, 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 they make us look at things from a whole new perspective. One, one author said this. He said, Jesus' parables reflect the principles of the kingdom of God. They force us to ask the question, where do I stand in relation to the kingdom of God? Where do I stand in relation to this kingdom? Am I on the inside? Am I in on what God is doing? Or do I remain outside? They show us, he says, quote, our own hearts in the light of God's word. Now, that's a great question for us to ask today. Where do I stand in light of what Jesus says about the kingdom? Where do I stand in relation to his kingdom? Again, am I in or out? Am I receptive to Jesus as king? Do I want him as king? Or am I resistant to him as king? Or, or maybe I'm just ambivalent or apathetic. The parables are aimed at helping us honestly ask those questions to be true with ourselves and say, what, how am I responding to Jesus? Chapter 4 is mostly a, a collection of parables, and the first one, which we're going to look at today, is a pivotal. In fact, in verse 13, Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of the parables. This one is foundational. This one is like a doorway into the other parables. So thankfully, he explained it to us. And I think we'll see that it's pretty straightforward, especially once we read the explanation. So if you, if you have a copy of the Bible, I'm going to encourage you to, to open it up. Because we're going to show these passages up here, but it's much, much better if you open up a Bible, whether in a device or a paper Bible, and look at it so that you can see how this section is set up. What you're going to see is that in verses 1 through 9 of Mark 4, Jesus gives us the parable. That, that's what Lizzie just read to us. And then, down in verse 14 to 20, he explains the parable in detail. But, but right in the middle, sandwiched between those two sections, verses 10 through 12, there, there are some troubling words, or at least um, unsettling words, from Jesus that, that might be hard for us to understand. And, and hopefully we'll come back to those if we have time at the end to look at them. But today what I really want to do is look at the parable itself in verses 1 through 9 and then down in 14 through 20. So let's dive into that parable. It's called the parable of the sower. Some people call it the parable of the seeds. Some people call it the parable of the soils. Verse 1 says, Jesus was teaching by the sea. And the crowd was very large, so large, in fact, that he got in a boat. He didn't get into a boat to escape, but he got into a boat so that he could teach more effectively. 
so that the, he, would, he would have kind of like a, a floating platform from which to address this crowd. I just read recently that some um, archaeologists believe they might know exactly where this took place because off the coast of Galilee, there's a section that seems to form like a natural amphitheater. It, it, it's kind of carved out that way, or not, not really carved out by, by humans, but naturally kind of set up like a staggered uh, uh, amphitheater. And apparently, if you stand in a vessel just off the shore, and you speak with a loud enough voice, that voice will travel and be heard by thousands. In any case, Jesus got on the boat to address these thousands of people. And in verse 3, he says, listen. This is a very forceful word. Listen. He, he's calling us, and he's calling them, to lock in. He, he's saying, he's saying and, and this is Jesus saying this, take in my words. Process them honestly. Weigh them and consider them. These are important words. Please listen. And he goes on. He says there's a sower, and his job is to plant seeds by scattering them. Spoiler alert, the sower represents Jesus, all right? And the seed represents Jesus' message, Jesus' teaching. Matthew calls that teaching, because Matthew tells the same parable, he calls it the word of the kingdom. It's that same message about the kingdom of God. It's the gospel. And more than that, it's all of what God has to say to us. It's God's promises. It's God's instructions for our lives. Everything that Jesus had to say represented in these seeds that were scattered. And the soil, the ground where the, where the seeds are landing, well, those represent, that represents people. It represents hearts, we could say. Now, when I say heart, I don't mean like that organ in your chest. I don't even just mean your emotions. Sometimes we use the word heart to talk about our emotions. In, in, in ancient Jewish thought, your heart was the totality of who you are, the fullness of who you are, the real you, deep down, that's your heart. Jesus says these, these, the soil represents hearts, people that respond to my words in different ways, very different ways. Jesus is telling everyone here, I've come to plant this life-giving message. And, and if you'll believe it, if you'll believe me, then you will experience new life in God. You will experience new life in God's kingdom. Under, under my good and saving, forgiving, protecting rule. But Jesus explains through this parable that there's a problem. The problem is not everyone is ready to receive his word. Some will reject it outright. Some are going to ignore it. Some are going to be bored by it. Others are going to be too busy or distracted to really listen to it. But there are some, Jesus says, there are some who are ready to hear me. And they're ready to have their lives changed by the power of this life-changing gospel seed. So Jesus describes different kinds of people who respond differently to his words. There's a crowd there, and so all these kinds of people were probably represented in that crowd, and maybe they're represented in this room too. Jesus saw them there, and he sees us here. And the first kind of heart he describes is, we might call it a hard heart, a hard heart. Look at verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went in to sow, out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came 
and devoured it. These fields in ancient Palestine were, were kind of these long strips of land um, that, that were divided by paths on either side. And, and these paths on the side of the field is where the, the farmers would, would walk down in order to, to scatter seed and to tend to the crops. It's where the animals would, would tread up and down. And so those paths alongside the fields were always beaten down and hard. It was, it was hard ground. And so Jesus says some, some seeds that were scattered on that hard ground, and it just kind of bounces there and lays on the surface. It doesn't even really penetrate the ground. And so what happens is that birds swoop in and, and they eat it up. And Jesus explains that kind of heart this way, down in 14. Verse 14, he says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is the picture of a person who has become blind to the worth of Jesus and his words. A person who is deaf to God's promises and to all he offers. It's like Jesus' words hit them and bounce right off. What, what, think about what that kind of heart might look like. It, it could be someone who is hostile to God, but not always. It could just look like apathy, like I don't really care, like I've heard this, like the message of the kingdom is uninteresting to me. It could look like that too. And I wonder if, if you've ever seen that kind of heart, that kind of person, maybe you've seen yourself that way. Have you ever experienced that kind of apathy that sets in, that grows tired of hearing God's word? The next kind of heart that he describes is the shallow heart. The shallow heart's a little different. Look at, at verse 5. It, 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 at least at the start, it looks like there's more potential here. It says, verse 5, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And Jesus explains that kind of heart in verse 16. He says, these are the ones... Sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, listen, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the word, immediately they fall away. So, so what's going on here is that there's this initial receptivity. There's, there's even an initial enthusiasm about, God's, about God and his word, about the gospel, but, but it's shallow. It's, it's a passing interest at best. Jesus saw a lot of this. He experienced this firsthand with people. He says this person receives Jesus' words with joy. With joy. Now, he's not being critical or, or, or sarcastic when he says that. It's truly received with joy. And that's great news. But what happens next is tragic. Because when trouble comes in, when trouble it comes in the, in the way of following Jesus, maybe, maybe for you or me this could look like you're initially enthusiastic about following him, you want to receive his gospel, you want him as king, but what happens is you start to experience rejection from other people in your life. Maybe you even lose a relationship or two over your commitment to obey Jesus. Or maybe it's not even like that. Maybe it's just life doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. 
And so you start blaming God. You start to think that following Jesus really isn't worth it. We were talking about this last week. That we start comparing ourselves to others, looking around and saying, this really hasn't paid off. The tragic irony is that when you stop listening to God's word and you stop paying attention to what he has to say to you, you're missing out on the very thing that can give you strength to persevere and understand your suffering and understand your suffering differently. You see, God's word itself gives you promises to strengthen you and settle you and, and reorient you and stabilize you. But Jesus says for some, when the trouble comes, when the difficulty comes, they will stop listening to God and they will, quote, fall away. Fall away. Um, I wonder if anyone's ever experienced this. We, um, are, a, lot of, a lot of our youth have just come back from Camp Impact. And I know that one of, the, one of the things that we pray for when our kids come back from Camp Impact is that the Lord would, as we sang, hold them fast. And that they wouldn't experience that kind of retreat hangover, the kind of uh, letdown that happens when you come back to your neighborhoods and to your home and you're in a very different kind of environment. It's the environment you're used to, but it's very different from where you were at that retreat, at that camp where you were immersed in the gospel, you're singing to the Lord, you're interacting with others, you're having great fun. You come back home and all of a sudden you start falling back into old patterns of life and you start to lose sight of what captivated your attention while you were at the, at the camp or at the retreat. And what can happen, in fact, is there's a kind of falling away. So, I mean, uh, first of all, we are extremely thankful. I am extremely thankful for the opportunity that so many of you had to receive the seed of God's word over the course of this this week, I'm speaking especially to you guys who are at Camp Impact. What a blessed opportunity. If you've received it with joy, I encourage you to cultivate that seed. Don't, don't neglect it. Cultivate it. Open your Bible. Talk about what you experience with people that you trust, that you love, whether it's your friends, your family members, youth group leaders. Think for a moment about what happened to Jesus' first disciples. In Matthew 26, it says that it's, it's the night that Jesus was arrested, and he tells his disciples, and he uses the same word that he uses here. He says, you will fall away because of me this night. He's saying things are going to get really spicy tonight, and you guys are all going to fall away when things get dangerous. You're going to scatter. And Peter answered Jesus and said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then they all said, yeah, me too. And they all fell away. And they came back. With the exception of one. With the exception of Judas. But the others came back. And, and that reminds us that these categories we're looking at in, 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 in this parable, these are not static categories. It's not, you know, you're, you're a hard-hearted person and that's who you are. Or you're, 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 you're this kind of here and that's who you are. No, no, we can and do shift between these categories at different points in our lives. And that's why it's so important for us to ask ourselves in the here and now, how am I responding to Jesus' words now? Not how did I respond 
in that experience that I had some time ago? Or how did I respond when I was much younger and life was different? How am I, or how will I respond one day, maybe if I get around to it, but how am I responding now? This is what really matters. These are not fixed categories. And I, and I trust that as we look through this, you're going to see yourself in some of these different categories. You can say, I was there. Or maybe you say, I am there now, but I don't need to stay there. You know, sometimes the kind of suffering and hardship that can cause us to fall away, it's not always dramatic, right? Persecution. Sometimes it just, it's just that obeying Jesus becomes costly at points. And obeying Jesus in some area of your life starts to become unappealing. So, so you, you begin to, 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 to withhold certain areas of your life from Jesus and his kingship. He says, do this, and you're like, no, nah, I don't think I'm, no, I don't think so, not now. Or he says, stop doing that, whatever that pattern of, 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 of thought or behavior in your life is dangerous and it's sinful. Stop having uh, sex with that person you're not married to. Stop uh, abusing this. Stop or start doing this. And whatever it is, fill in the blank for yourself, you say, no. Or you say, later, later. And slowly what happens is you find yourself increasingly desensitized to his words. And what that is, it, it, it constitutes a kind of falling away. And if that's where any of you are now, you can come back. He wants you to, and, and he will welcome you with joy and love and so much enthusiasm. Come back to him. The other option, of course, is to just keep falling further away until eventually you may find yourself looking a whole lot like the hard-hearted person who's become completely desensitized to God's words, his warnings, his promises. The third kind of heart here is a distracted heart. Distracted heart. Verse 7. Jesus says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And he explains it in verse 18. He says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word... But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Other things crowd out God's word. In fact, they choke out God's word. This is the distracted heart. If there's even one follower of Jesus here that can't relate to this, I'll be surprised. I think if you're following Jesus, you must, I think, at some point in your life be able to relate to this. Remember, these are not static categories. And so some of us, maybe we've lived, we've been in a distracted state for a long time, chasing so many other things and neglecting the words of God to us, neglecting the presence of Jesus and the, the words of Jesus in our lives. Notice this seed started out with great potential too. It went in a little deeper than the previous seed. But, but what happened is that seed was in an environment that was full of weeds and was full of thorns. And those weeds and those thorns eventually choke out that young budding plant. So you see, this person received the word of the gospel, but their heart was so crowded, so occupied with other things, that they choked out the gospel. 
And some of those things that, that crowd this person's heart might not even be bad things. But it's crowding out what's best. This is particularly pertinent, I think, for us who live in the West, who live where and when we happen to live right now. The number of distractions, the number of opportunities, and the number of challenges that surround us. No, Jesus says the deceitfulness of riches is one of the things that choked out the gospel and the presence of Jesus in their lives. The deceitfulness of riches. It's not just riches, it's their deceitfulness because they promise what they can't deliver. Perhaps that's what he means. Money promises security, it promises peace of mind, it promises stability and peace, and it doesn't deliver. It just keeps requiring us to want more of it. Oh, it's so deceitful. The Bible warns us often about that. Much more than I think we pay attention to sometimes. But it's not just the deceitfulness of riches, it's a desire for other things. Again, it's kind of what we talked about last week, looking around and just comparing ourselves to others and thinking, I want more. I want what they have. I want something else. What kind of cares are these, right? These aren't just greedy, covetous, looking around and I want to, like, greed. I just want to accumulate more stuff. It's not just that. The cares of this world, because it's a desire for other things, but it's also the cares of this world. The cares of this world can be things like the need to earn and save and spend uh, and, and repair and remodel. All these things that cost money and take up bandwidth in our heads. And they're important things. Things like studying. Things like working longer hours. Things like academic uh, responsibilities. Things like good things like sports or more sports, or travel teams, or more of that. And in and of themselves, none of them is bad, but what's happened is they've, they've, they've taken a, a disordered priority in the lives of this hearer. You see, they've been prioritized wrongly. They've come to matter more than they should, and now what's being neglected is the very, is the very thing that matters most. It's Jesus, his kingdom. His word. The Bible describes this as idolatry, kind of disordered affections, taking good things and making them God things, as some have said, making gods out of them. So God says, I've given you so many good things, but, but you've let them crowd your heart. So instead of just being good at like flowers in your life that add beauty and joy, they've become thorns and weeds they choke out what's really good because they've gotten so deeply rooted in your heart that they're taking over and you're looking to them to satisfy you. And you know how this works, right? It's, it's so subtle. Sometimes it's when, when like a change, something new, right? It could be a, a new job or, or a new house or, or a new girlfriend or a new baby. Beautiful gifts from God. But we become consumed with them. In fact, we become really worried about them, about maintaining them. What are we going to do about school? What, what, how, how, how are we going to afford this place? Um, how am I going to keep this person uh, uh, liking me? It all, it all displaces and chokes out your interests in Jesus 
and in his kingdom. And so these good things become thorns and weeds. And worshiping Jesus, serving him, being used by him, knowing him, just living as a citizen of his kingdom falls by the wayside. It's choked out. And, uh, and as a result, Jesus says there's no fruit in this life. There's no fruit. There's no fruit of serving him. There's no fruit of worshiping him. There, there, there's no fruit. There's no fruit of peace or joy. I wonder if you can relate to seasons like that in your life. Maybe you're in that season now. Can you relate to the distracted heart? If so, I wouldn't be surprised because we live in a distracted society in a world that is constantly, constantly and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it, it's just the evils of culture. I'm saying the good things that God's given us. <laughs> because of the way we respond to them, we can let them do grave damage to our souls. The last kind of heart that he describes is the receptive heart. The receptive heart. And, and, and um, that's in verse 8. He says, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Those are amazing rates, right? That's pretty amazing. Verse 20, he says, but those that were sown on the good soil, this explanation, are the ones who hear the word, look, and accept it and bear fruit. Pay attention to those words there. This is what makes this person different from all the other people in this parable. They hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. And, and if, you, if you were to look closely, that verb here shows up several times in this parable. In fact, all the other hearers are said that they hear the word. At some point, they hear it. But the, the tense of the word here is different. For the other three kinds of hearers, it's hearing in a certain tense. It's a past tense, an aorist tense. Here, this here is, um, it, it, it denotes, a, it indicates a kind of, they, they go on hearing. They, they keep hearing. There, there's a consistency. That's one thing that makes this person different from all the others. They receive and keep hearing, and keep hearing, and they want to keep hearing, and they consistently expose themselves to the message of Jesus, to his presence and to his words. That makes, that's a big difference, isn't it? But then also, he says, they accept the word. He didn't say that about the other hearers. They accept the word. That, that means they, they take in, they take it in deep into their hearts. This is beyond just a shallow interest or a passing interest. To accept it means they believe it. They integrate it into their lives and they take it down in deep. And they produce fruit. What kind of fruit, I might ask? The first kind of fruit that comes to my mind is fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That fruit that the Spirit produces in the lives of those who receive, keep hearing, and accept God's Word. They become a blessing to others, and they experience the blessedness of life under Jesus' care. What other kind of fruit? Maybe it's the fruit of obedience to God. Jesus once says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God. And so obedience to God. Obedience by believing the gospel and then seeking to honor God by obeying his instructions for life. It's another kind of fruit that comes in the life of the receptive hearer. 
And like I said, this rate of, of production here is astronomical. It's supernatural, really. 30, 60, 100 times. And God is the one who produces this. And he starts producing it now. And as we're going to see when we read, um, when we read the, the other uh, parables in Mark 4, that, that growth in God's kingdom economics may look very slow. It may look slow. But don't underestimate the reality of that growth and production. Because God starts producing this fruit now. And it may look slow. But it grows exponentially. And into eternity, it abounds. It results in eternal life. So, Jesus ends this, uh, this, God, this parable this way. He says, verse 9, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I just want to end with a couple of questions. Whose words are you listening to? Whose words are you consistently listening to? Whose words are you letting take root in your heart? Are they Jesus' words? Are they the root words of others, the instructions and expectations of others? Or is it just your own words that you're listening to? Like they say, listen to your heart, people say, right? Listen to your heart. I would say that listening to your heart is overrated. Jesus says, take my word into your heart. Listen to me. Take my word deep into your heart. Listening to your heart always feels easier in the short run, but it gets hard in the long run. It never produces fruit. It produces destruction, ultimately. But taking Jesus' word into our heart and listening to that, letting his word shape our heart, that might feel very hard at, point, at times, but it bears real fruit, and it leads to eternal life. So he ask you another question. Are there areas of your life currently where you don't want to listen to Jesus? <laughs> like you don't want him to speak into that one part of your life, so you've stopped listening. And maybe you've even grown numb to his voice, distracted from it or just ambivalent about it. There's a warning here from the Lord. There's a warning. We didn't look at that section in the, in the middle here. We didn't have time. But there's a warning, maybe we can talk about it another time, but there's a, there's a warning here to not be stubborn and resistant to God's word. We think sometimes that, that I can pay attention to it later. I can believe later when I want to, not now. And Jesus' words here are meant to sober us up, to wake us up. He's telling us God is not mocked. It's a warning to listen. It's a warning to receive Jesus and his words. So how are you responding? Last question, how are you responding to what Jesus has been communicating to you? As you read your Bible, if you read your Bible, what has Jesus been communicating to you? As you listen to preaching, as you listen to other people, maybe Jesus is communicating to you through other people who have his word in their heart. And they've sought to communicate Jesus' words to you, encourage you to believe in him and trust him, find hope in him, to open up to him. How have you been responding? And what has he been communicating to you? What has he been saying? How are you receiving it? He knows you. He knows you. He knows your suffering. He knows your pain. He knows the worst thing you've ever done. And he loves you still. 
and he knows the worst things that have ever been done to you. And he wants to heal you and help you. All you need to do is receive his word and receive him. So going back to, to you folks who are at Camp Impact and to families of those who kids were at Camp Impact, I'm going to encourage you in particular to cultivate the seed of God's word. Again, talk to others about it. Open your Bible. Come to church. Reflect and discuss on what, what, what you encountered, what helped you, what confused you, what you didn't like. Talk to your family members and to others, youth group leaders about that. And the rest of us, let's all, all of us, cultivate the seed of God's word. Let's ask him to change hard, distracted hearts into receptive hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you didn't just give us words, you gave us your very life. You are the word incarnate and you gave us your life. You died in order to give us what we need. And so we pray that you would help us to believe. We know that even these early believers, some of them, they didn't, all they had was like the seed of the gospel. They didn't even have the full message. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know yet about the cross. They didn't know about the resurrection. All they had was this, this seed of the message of the kingdom. And it was just starting to take shape in their, in their minds. But they were receptive. Some of them were, Lord. They were receptive and they wanted to know more. And they wanted in on whatever Jesus was doing. And so we pray that that would be our hearts. Even if some of us here, we don't per- completely get the gospel we pray that you create in us a desire, an appetite, a willingness to just be open to Jesus and hear more from him and be shaped by him, a, a trust in him. Lord, would you do this? Lord, some of us here, we, we've heard the gospel so many times and, and maybe at times we say we believe it and, and we're not sure if we believe it now. Or, you know where each of us is at, Lord. You know where each of us is at. We ask, Father, that you would take this word plant it deep in us, and produce the kind of fruit that you promised to those who receive you. In Jesus' name, amen.